Welcome everyone to the Vox Box here in the European Parliament in Strasbourg and this EPP group talk on healthcare. How the group has helped to make healthcare, public health, a European priority through different initiatives, including the fight against cancer, a successful vaccine development, a subcommittee on public health, among other things. And the European Commission uh, is uh, working on a pharmaceutical package, uh, taking into account what we learned during the COVID crisis, some mistakes we made, but also good things we did. Uh, and what would the EP, group, EP groups like to see in this pharma package? Uh, joining me is Dolores Montserrat, MEP from Spain. Welcome, Dolores. Thank you. Uh, you're on the Committee on Environment, Public Health, and Food Safety, also the Subcommittee on Public Health, exactly. right? And on the Special Committee on the COVID-19 Pandemic Lessons Learned. You're the lead author on that report. We want to ask you about that. And joining us virtually from uh, Barcelona is Nuria Mas, uh, Professor of Health Economics at IESE Business School, University of Navarra. Uh, you were on the Advisory Committee on Healthcare Systems uh, for the Government of Catalonia. Uh, let me begin with Dolores, and uh, as we mentioned, you're the lead author on that uh, COVID Special uh, Committee, Lessons Learned, um, and that report uh, is to be voted on in, in June. Um, what are a couple of key lessons? I mean, there are many of them, right? But what are, what are give, give us two. Um, the European Union must act in one, so we have to be together because a pandemia doesn't know borders, so we have yeah. to be united. And Which I we think, weren't always during yes, that COVID crisis. Yes, so I think so that the big successful of Euro European Union it was that we've been united with pandemia. Yeah, and when we did that together, like for instance, on, on, on buying uh, vaccines. Exactly. That worked. We invest in a vaccine. We yeah. did a, joint pro a global joint procurement with all European Union, so with all the 27 state members. And, right. that, and then we did a massive vaccination for all the European citizens. Yeah. And in the same time, because we have one of the most important values in the European Union, that is solidarity. So we export the vaccines from Europe to the rest of the world. Right. Now, where it didn't work, for instance, and I remember you telling me this story <laughs> yeah. about Spanish doctors having to wear garbage bags to protect themselves from, yeah. uh, from COVID. Um, yeah, you have another horror story like that for us? Yeah, for example, we had a shortage of a medicine that we need that medicine to intubate the patients right. during the COVID time. Right. And we did we had shortage, not just in Spain, eh? I'm talking about sure. all Europe. Yeah. So this is the importance that European Union has to be prepared for the future. We don't know the next um, health emergency, the next pandemic. We don't know what is going on, yeah. but we have to be, be prepared. So we have to produce in Europe about drugs, medicines, APIs, yeah. masks, everything that we need. Now, let me uh, jump over to Nuria. Hello, Nuria, over in, uh, Hello, in good Barcelona. Morning. Good morning. Buenos dias. Uh, the, um, do you have maybe a quick uh, horror story to tell? I mean, you, you inspected hospitals for a long time for, for Catalonia, uh, though, and now you teach at the university. But um, do you have another story to tell uh, during, during the COVID crisis? Yes, we could have tons of horror stories that, that we can only imagine, but no. I also think we have amazing success stories, okay. which is also the fact it has to do with what Dulo said at the beginning, working together. And second, something that I learned, if you have the talent, if you have the professionals, then these people who know what they are doing, they'll find the solution. 
as quickly as possible. So that's why I think it's so crucial that Europe is the place where these talented people and the companies that we need want to be. Okay, now, uh, what would you like to see uh, the EU do more on healthcare, being sort of an outsider and independent in this sense? Uh, EU Commissioner uh, Kyriakides recently uh, set out priorities in a recent speech that I read. Uh, she talked about access, incentives, addressing shortages, sustainable health care, uh, combating microbial resistance, uh, leaner regulatory environment. What priorities do you see? All of the above or do you, do you see others? Well, it's hard not to say all the above, right? But I think <laughs> that what we need is to uh, bring this into practice. So have a very clear strategic direction where these priorities can be a shift. And to me, this means mostly three things. The first one, it's to make sure that we attract the talent that we need in healthcare, mm. mainly R&D and professionals. Okay. Second, that we attract the production here, and, and Dulos also mentioned the importance of security. And third, that we can leverage unique things that Europe has that nobody else in the world can have. Like so what? let me just like say, what? yeah. Exactly. So we have two of them. One is our healthcare system is much more integrated than anywhere else. And we've been collecting data from our citizens mm. and our patients for a long time. If we bring it all together, if we can create this European health data space, that's unbeatable. I think that's, that's unique. And the other thing is that for competitiveness, the solution for Europe is R&D. And if you look ah, yeah. at the R&D report, you know, most of the R&D comes from healthcare in Europe. The first one is automotive. The second one is healthcare. Okay. Um, and, and a lot of this has to do with in, in incentivizing, right? I mean, how do we incentivize? Let me come over to you, Dolores, on that. Well, you know, we need, um, we have an important and competitiveness industry in yeah. Europe, but um, we, we need less bureaucracy, for example. Okay. When EMA, the European Medicines Agency, approves a drug, we cannot wait one year, two years, or three years to put that drug that is approved by EMA yeah. in one of the 27 uh, yeah. state members. That the national governments have to exactly. follow we, that. Exactly. So this is the reason that we put in the pharmaceutical strategy a um, uh, maximum in six months after okay. EMA approved the countries they have to put that drug in their market. And that gives more predictability, predictability also yeah. for the industry. And we're right? going to reduce yeah. the gap of the access because we you can find in Europe that one patient on cancer in one state member has to wait 1,000 days for that drug and another country nine days. Yeah. In, in oncological right. Right. drugs, we have a big difference between nine days to 1,000 days. So now we you, have to reduce this gap. Yeah, and you, you, you've spoken of shortages of paracetamol, for instance, yeah. uh, during the pandemic. How do you ensure that security of supply? Is this the way to do it? Well, um, for well, me, it's very yeah. important to ensure uh, the European Union needs to increase our production in, uh, in Europe, boosting its industry, mm. of course, while at the same time uh, diversifying its uh, supply chain and ensuring better coordination of national health systems. So for me, one of the most important points is EMA. The vaccination, it was mm. an example. When EMA approved the, the, the COVID vaccine, 
the day after, mm. all the state members, they approve that vaccine. Mm -hmm. So why we cannot do the same with all the drugs? Yeah. I'm thinking with the rare disease, for example, rare that diseases, um, yeah. um, we have one patient in one country and they have to wait three years. And perhaps in another country, they have to wait one year. We are European Union. So we have to build the European Union for health. That, right. uh, you know, um, means that everybody will have the same access in the same time with uh, innovative therapies. So that, that should be in the pharmaceutical package. Yeah. That's what in, we in your dream of vision yes, would you hope we to hope. see that. Yeah, we hope. Uh, Nuria, anything to add that, uh, to that on the, on the pharma package? Um, I, can, I, I absolutely agree with the priorities that she says. And I would just add there's one fact our companies can locate anywhere. They can choose. So we mm. just need to make Europe attractive for them. To want to be here and when we talk about the access it's the same coordination it's crucial all the points that she has said will help but at the end there's a financing as well so sometimes you know the fact that something has been approved does not mean that we can finance it easily so right. i think that for this to become real we need to think about how the states will be able to afford that and that requires improving inefficiencies in healthcare and you know going one step further of course this is a super good step but i think we need the step further as well Okay, good. Uh, let, let me move on to the special committee on, uh, no, to the, uh, well, yes, yeah, so the, the, on the special committee, you're going to come out with that report. Can you give us a little bit more on that, on, on what you uh, uh, aim to have in that report? Well, um, perhaps um, three things, but uh, first of all, I want to focus on the cyber attacks that they are suffering our hospitals all around Europe. Oh, yeah. For example, Nuri is from Barcelona and I'm from Barcelona too. Mm. And just three weeks ago, one month ago, um, one of the biggest hospitals in Barcelona, mm. it was attacked by a cyber attack. So we had to suspend um, 300 operations, um, oh 4,000 analyzes of people, no? and we had to move patients from this hospital to other hospitals. Right. Can we imagine, are we prepared? We have to be prepared um, for a global cyber attack in our hospitals in Europe. Mm -hmm. I hope so that it's not going to happen, but we have yep. to be prepared. What was that so, ransomware that it was involved there? <laughs> well, um, the, the, um, the, the thing it is that in the report, we want to be prepared, the, all the state members and the European Union, how? So the, the health sector has to be one of the pillars of our European Union strategy of safety and defense. Right. This is one of the best lessons that we it's, learned with COVID. It's critical infrastructure, yes, right? That's, exactly. That's, so that's it's important. defense yeah. and security strategy now, the health. Right, right. Um, okay. Uh, what about um, incentive mechanisms? I know, Nuria Mas, uh, you're... Uh, you're, you're pushing in that direction toward incentives. How do you incentivize doctors and hospitals uh, to perform better? Well, I think that the first important stuff in here is to be clear on what we want. And what we want, it's the best possible health for the resources that we have. So that's, uh, for me, it's very important that we can think more in terms of paying for outcomes, paying for value-based healthcare, as opposed to, I don't know, let me give you an example that, that we work on. Hmm. So if I want you to reduce waiting lists, that's a very nice objective, but that's not the final objective. The final objective is that people are, you know, are taken, are, are well for. taken care of, yeah. right? So if I pay you, if I incentivize reducing waiting lists, this might end up with hiding more doctors. 
But that's not necessarily the best thing that we might do with our resources. Hmm. Maybe it would be way better that we get patients who don't get readmitted into the hospital, who do preventive care and so on. So if for me, when you think about incentive first, you need to know exactly the final objective. What do you really want? And then understand the pathway, the patient pathway that will take you there. Yeah, what understand about, which role everybody okay. plays. What about the patients themselves? How do you incentivize them? So, uh, yes, we worked on that as well. And yeah. patients really need to take more and more a proactive role onto this. An important part is education, but that's not getting us very far. So there's the nudging. Nudging, for example, you can use copayment. Copayment. Copayment can help up to some point only. <laughs> yeah, uh, yeah. Only to up point? to some point. Right, right. So, yeah, to what point does, does that help? Obviously, if there's copayment, that means they have a stake in it, in, in, uh, in, in, in making sure that uh, they um, use healthcare properly, right? Okay, so the first thing is that, let me say a disclaimer here, because I'm not very keen on this, in, uh, in this copayment in particular, okay? okay? But 80% of the population use most of the resources. If we put copayment, and obviously we want to protect taxes, we will need to cap it anyway, which at the end means that for most of the people, copayment will not be binding. It will not apply to them. Okay. So that's why I'm saying it's not helping that much. Now, let me say other ways in which we can get people to do the right thing. Okay, yeah. if I want you to go to primary care and not to emergency care, yes. I can do it through payments. I yeah. can charge you more if you go to the emergency care or to the private care, or I can do it through time. I okay. can make it very hard for you if you are not really sick to, you know, access emergency room. Emergency so there are different yeah. ways. Right, right. I mean, Dulles, I, I imagine that's a sensitive issue, right? Because that, that, yeah. that, that means patients having to pay. So how does that work? How do we... How do we use that uh, to, to, to make healthcare more effective? Look, one of the big instruments that the European Union for Health put on the table, and I think so that it's going to be a big change and a big opportunity for patients, for scientifics, and for the industry, and yeah. for the public um, health systems, mm. it is the um, um, health the, the big data health space. So Europe, we're going to have the 400 uh, millions of your health data, of course, that we're not going to have your name, but we're right. going to have, for example, um, a patient that has 49 years old. Her mom had um, breast cancer mm -hmm. when she was 44. Um, I'm, uh, for example, I'm obese. Um, I have a diabetes. So all this data, it's going to be inside of just one big data in Europe. And we're going to tila, um, use the artificial intelligence. And it's okay. going to give us a lot of data to promote the health, yeah. to prevent the disease, yeah. to be more quick, well, to focus on what in what we have to invest uh, in yeah, the innovation, innovation and research. Including rare diseases. In yeah. rare diseases. So this is going to give a lot of information yeah. that it's going to change, you know, the paradigm. It's a, it's a new paradigm that is going to help so much for the sustainability of our systems. Right. And of course, to have access to all um, treatments. But also anonymity is very important there because I think people need to be reassured that, that their data is going to be safe. Exactly. As, as far as that goes. Exactly. Um, uh, I'm so sorry, but we're running out of time. I, I want to do, however, cover that uh, that uh, subcommittee on, on public health yeah. uh, to get both of your inputs uh, on that. That is something that the EPP group was uh, yes. instrumental in making that happen. 
Um, uh, Nuria, how, do you, how much of you, how much do you see that as an opportunity there to to focus on public health? Because that's pretty much your sandbox, isn't it? It is, and actually, with the data that Dulos was mentioning, I think, I mean, since health is this critical infrastructure, that's where we have most of, uh, you know, the possibilities of advancing on. And there's something that we have learned in in a project that we did with uh, with some researchers in Berkeley. That is, you know, first you need the data. Data is the one; it's key. Yeah. It's the one that tells you what works and what doesn't. So we need to have the data there, analyze it, and make the most out of it. The second thing that we need to do is to bring the big headlines and then allow for local uh, ways of organizing this. Different mm. countries are very, mm. very different. Right. And there's a lot of richness in there. Let them organize this public health in the way in which is going to work better for them. Yeah. If you are very rural, you need to do something that different from if you are very urban. If you have lots of mental health hospitals, that's going to work different than if you have something else. So right. also appreciate the local uh, differences across countries and in one country to make yeah. the most out of this. So because more, there's yeah. a lot of you know background in the way in which every country has organized healthcare, and that's very cultural. You cannot change that that easily. Yeah, can we get you know, f final word from uh, Dolores about, uh, about that public health subcommittee uh, to, to give sort of uh, a direction and orientation and yet uh, there, that there still be sort of autonomy on a local level? Yeah, well, the, the, the first thing is that we, we feel so proud to achieve this subcommittee of health. It's okay. the first time in the European Parliament that mm. has the European Parliament a health committee. So what this what does mean? That the health now is a priority for European institutions, has to be a big priority for the state members. Mm. And of course, we are putting again the passions of the European citizens in the center of our policies. Good. So never again what happened at the beginning of the pandemic. Yeah. We have to be prepared. We have to put the passions in the center of our policies. We have to find solutions for all the disease. And third, we have to defend our universal public health systems in Europe, how to maintain the sustainability of our health public systems. Yeah. So this is the reason that it is a good news and a good success for EPP to achieve this um, subcommittee of health. I hope we have uh, time for a quick, quick lightning round. Uh, how, how ready are we for the next public health crisis, Nuria? We are much readier than we were before because yes. we've learned lots of things and we are putting the, the elements in peace. And I think this data is going to play a very important role. And second, the talent. We need to make sure that we keep the people that are going to get us out of it here. Right? It's very important that we can remain this very attractive place for professionals, for researchers, because when the pandemic comes or whatever thing comes next, we yeah. won't see it coming by definition. Yeah. And yeah. that's when the talent Indeed. is going to be crucial. Indeed. Dolores, quick word. How, how ready are we? How, how, can we reassure the public that we're ready for the next one or um, readier? Yeah, um, we are prepared and we are putting the passions and all the European citizens in the center of our policies. Mm. So... I want to give will to all the European citizens that now they are suffering some disease. Dolores, thank you very much. Also, thanks to Nuria and thanks to all of you for watching this EPP Group uh, talk on health care. Uh, keep in mind, eppgroup.eu for more information. Also on the uh, social networks at EPP Group. My name is Chris Burns. See you next time.